Welcome back to Roy on Rescue. I've had a phenomenal question come in, and it's one that I actually had come back a while ago, but it's taken this long because I've, I've been all the way around the whole subject matter, and I went from actually getting too much into what I would do as a paramedic all the way through to really getting back to the origination of the question, which is, if you were a lay person dealing with lay people, how would you deal with this situation? And here's what it is. Um, the Rescue 3 team out in California emailed me regarding the desert race crash that happened some time ago now, where um, a racer went off a jump into a crowd of people and not only did they injure a great number of people, but there was a number of critically ill or injured to also dead on scenes. And one of the biggest problems that happened with this accident was that, uh, that they didn't have a response system, a professional response system there for over an hour. That's the golden hour. So what I've done in, the, in this time since they've asked me this question is I, I went back to my colleagues um, that work still full-time with an ambulance company. I spoke with two different dispatchers and um, formulated basically what you're going to get today. And, and this is how it goes. When you have a situation where there are more than one patient on scene, it convolutes the whole situation especially the less providers you have on scene it just complicates things tremendously because there's more work to do than one person can handle one of the factors that makes this incredibly difficult is having to triage triage is a term that we use when there are multiple patients that need to be evaluated that are all different levels of being critical or non-critical. For example, um, we have everything from, uh, well, it's usually color-coded. So if you look at like a triage tag, there are these perforated little levels to it. And I was going to get a card, but I just haven't been able to get my hands on one, that you rip off as the person gets more and more critical until virtually it ends at black. And it's color-coded, so you've got green, yellow, red, black, I believe is the way it runs. Um, it also has little symbols on it. I believe it's got a turtle, it's got a rabbit, uh, and then it's got, I think, a skull and crossbones or something to that effect. Green means usually that the person is in need of being seen by a medical professional and evaluated, but they're probably your walking wounded. They're the people that have bumps, bruises, pain, but they're not critical. No airway problems, no breathing problems, no circulation problems, no fractures. Uh, if they do have a fracture, it's sustainable. They can maintain um, some control of it themselves. These individuals, are, again, are your non-critical. They're going to be the last to go when ambulances arrive or when the air vac comes. Then you have your yellows. These are individuals that are awake. Um, they are a little more serious than a walking wounded, so they probably either have some, maybe some paleness, they might be showing some increased uh, pulse rate, increased respiratory rate, they might have a little bit of difficulty breathing, um, but they, are, they still are alert and conscious, uh, and you can usually come back to those people and say, hey, how are you doing? Is it getting any worse? How are you feeling? And they'll explain it to you, and they'll either sustain at that yellow, or they will graduate to the next one. Red are those individuals who are in shock, um, but they are breathing on their own. 
These people are, are seriously injured, but they are breathing on their own. They could even be unconscious, but again, they are breathing on their own. These individuals are critical. They are your priority ones. They are the people that are going to be getting off scene as fast as possible when emergency medical services arrive. Um, or any transportation service at this point. And we can, t we can scale this thing. I mean, we can talk about three patients to 30 patients to 300 patients to 3,000 patients. The system works virtually the same no matter how many patients you have. Um, now, where I got in trouble was that I started to try to think of a way that we could actually build this training format where you could educate bystanders quickly so that you could actually uh, create this triage team. Medical control, transportation officer, med medical officer, triage officer, um, uh, morgue officer. It, it got a little crazy uh, because this is, I mean, when you start doing this at a professional level, this is stuff that you've got to learn how to do. You have to cooperate with the emergency medical services at hand and receiving hospitals. Uh, air evac, you got to have communications by radio. It gets very, very complex, or it can anyways. And after talking to my colleagues, we came down to this. We're going to do the best we can with what we've got. Now, granted, you're going to have people that are off-duty nurses, off-duty paramedics, EMTs, firefighters, doctors, PAs, clinicians, people that know first aid. These individuals are, are everywhere, but they've got to be encouraged and organized to come out of the woodwork. By all means, you can formulate in a situation like this where you've got multiple casualties at all different critical levels, <clears throat> you can definitely formulate a, a miniature size triage transport um, center. But I think a critical element here is not to feel like you're dropping the ball or, or making the conditions of the patients worse simply because you're frustrated because you cannot organize it the way you would if you had multiple systems arriving, the, the ambulance EMS, the fire departments, the air evacs, and, and so on and so forth. So somehow we've got to realize that what we're doing is the best we can with what we have, and that is the best we can do. However, we could group these patients into these categories, walking woundeds, as people are out there asking if everybody's okay, you can take charge, formulate this, this medical control on scene, even as a good Samaritan or as a, as a uh, volunteer, and say, who wants to help? And so you collect those individuals, and then you say, here's what we're going to do. In this section over here, we're going to have our walking wounded. I want them to sit on the ground because they could get worse. Their, their um, slight stomach ache right now could be internal bleeding and they could actually go into hypovolemic shock and become a priority. So I want them to be categorized over here. They need to be seen. It's just that they're walking wounded. They're, they're potentially not injured that badly. Um, they might transport. They might not. But let's put them over here so we can keep an eye on them. The next section is going to be the second uh, priorities. These are the individuals that do have abdominal pain. They might be pale, cool, sweaty, but they're not decreased in their level of consciousness. They might just be fear-induced, psychosomatic shock. Um, these people might have a fracture, a serious cut, but the bleeding is controlled. Um, these individuals need to be seen um, and, and transported, but they're not critical. They're not the first to leave. But we're going to want to have them in one section over here so that we can keep an eye on them and watch to see if they graduate to priority one.
or the, the next to goes. Then you've got your priority ones. These are individuals that are unconscious but breathing, um, obviously in shock. Uh, they have s multiple fractures of long bones. They have uh, possibly they are um, paralyzed or have some semi-paralysis. These are individuals that, that might die. In the triage scenario, they stop breathing on their own, they are now a black tag. Now this is extremely, extremely touchy. I know this is touchy. It is so difficult as a rescuer to know that if you had one-on-one -on -one time with a patient that you could probably give them rescue breathing and artificial chest compressions and sustain life for another six minutes, eight minutes, ten minutes, or sustainability, or, or at least um, the ability to revive them with an AED and with ACLS, advanced cardiac life support. But because there's multiple patients, because there's chaos, they stop breathing, they get brought to the morgue, the makeshift morgue, and are no longer worked on. This is probably one of the most difficult situations that was faced in wartime. Triage, of course, is a valuable uh, tool in trying to figure out what soldiers that are injured uh, are going to be uh, considered dead versus those who are, are viable. We have limited resources. And when a person stops breathing and they lose their pulse, they're clinically dead. But in triage, if they can't breathe on their own, it means that they are so critically injured that they probably will graduate to dead within a short amount of time. If all we if we had enough resources that we could allocate to them, we would do so. As long as we were not neglecting the others. But in a triage situation, it's because there's more patients than we have healthcare providers or, or rescuers. And that is one of the most difficult situations to deal with. Is is categorizing people who are not breathing, not moving, into the dead category. But that is how triage works. That's the formula that works for triage, so that we can pay attention to those that are viable, that we can contribute to, that we that we can give our resources to to help them. Um, remember that if you do have to make a, a makeshift morgue, and there will be people that have obvious signs of morbidity, decapitation, um, open skull fractures, um, eviscerations, and no pulse, no movement, no breathing. These people are obviously, they're dead. Um, the makeshift morgue should not be a place where people are, are gawking. This should not be the location where people are are passing by on a regular basis or stepping over the bodies. This makeshift morgue, there's no critical treatment going on there. Sure, we could go back there, uh, send another volunteer back there to double check to make sure none of them have revived and started breathing. That's always a good idea. But, but they should have stuff covering their faces at least and their major wounds. Give them dignity in this time of death. Have people standing around that section to make sure no one is stealing or pillaging off from the bodies. It's hard to understand. It's hard to believe that this would happen, but it would. And we must treat those, those bodies in a dignified way, in a respectful way. 
and then focusing the majority of our volunteer and trained personnel onto the, the viables or, or hopefully viables. When emergency medical services arrive, this is the professional level now, and we actually have someone who's ready to take scene control, the person who was assuming that medical control, that scene control, it's going to be vital that they, they are notified immediately, and then they go to that person who's going to be assuming scene command, and then they communicate in as concise a way as possible what is going on, how many patients they have in each category. We have, we have 12 priority ones, 10 priority twos, and we have 22 walking woundeds. The priority ones are in this section. They are being maintained, reevaluated, and treated over here. The, the, the yellow category or priority two category is over here. They're being maintained and uh, revisited often. Uh, and reassessed for priority changes and the walking wounded are over here and our makeshift morgue is over here we have a, a 10 count of, of dead um, that scene command person will probably set up a landing zone for the helicopter they will be setting up an, uh, an arrival location for ambulances to come in and take the next person the next priority out in a, an organized retriage triaged manner they will probably come with triage tags and start the formal triaging by um, affixing tags to people with basic information and making sure they're reprioritized. They will then probably issue the vests to the different officers so that there is um, <clears throat> more of a professional and organized manner to who it is you need to report to and help. But by all means, the volunteer system can still be a service in many cases to scene command. It's never easy to have a multi-casualty incident, especially when something comes out of nowhere like this desert race accident. We do the best we can. We realize that when there's a delay of over an hour for emergency medical services, remember in EMS and in trauma care, there is such a thing called the golden hour. This is the time from the incident to the time we actually fix the underlying problems that affords this patient the best chance of survival and recovery. When care does not arrive for over an hour, the golden hour is gone. It is one of the worst case scenarios you can, you can uh, imagine. And it becomes more of a wilderness medicine, which in wilderness medicine, uh, there's not much room for treating cardiac arrest. It's looking at those individuals who we can manage, we can care for, to give them the best chance of survival. I hope this was helpful. If you have any questions, comments, please send them to royonrescue at gmail.com. Keep the questions coming. And until next time, go forth and rescue. This is Roy from Roy and Rescue. Have a great day.